the Irish Times Inside Business podcast in association with EY, building a better working world. Welcome to Inside Business with Kieran Hancock, a podcast from the Irish Times. This week, my guests are good buddy economist Dermot O'Leary and Irish Times economic correspondent Owen Burke Kennedy. We're going to be talking about the root good health of the Irish economy in spite of pandemic restrictions, as outlined earlier this week in reports both by the Central Bank of Ireland and Goodbody. So what's driving this growth? What about the risk of inflation driving up prices and wage expectations? And what would happen if Sinn Féin were in government? These are just some of the questions that get answered on the show, but I began by asking Omber Kennedy to take us through the headline figures in the Central Bank of Ireland's forecasts. So the central bank's quarterly bulletin is probably the most bullish and positive bulletin we've had uh, throughout the pandemic. It's predicting uh, growth this year in GDP terms of nearly 9%. And it's also suggesting that the economy is going to create 167,000 new jobs over the next two years. So one of the things it wanted to showcase was that the economy now is going to move back towards full employment, which is just under 5% in Irish terms, uh, much quicker than expected, actually by the end of 2024, which is very upbeat assessment of the current situation. It says growth is being dragged forward by income growth, um, uh, also by the unwinding of savings built up during the pandemic, and of course by uh, strong exports from the multinational sector. Now, it did warn um, that inflation is likely to stay elevated and that would have a cost-of-living impact, but it did say that this would wane as the year uh, wore on. So um, the implications of this, you know, real positive um, outlook is also that the government is likely now to run a budget uh, surplus next year, according to its forecasts. So um, if you think at the beginning of the pandemic, we were probably thinking the government wouldn't get back to running a surplus till about 2025, so now it's on course to do that at a much more accelerated rate. So, yeah, a very uh, positive assessment of the outlook for the Irish economy. Yeah, much more positive than we could have hoped for, really. And I suppose a surprise as well, perhaps. I don't know if this influenced their report in any way, but the restrictions were you know, pretty much fully lifted last, uh, late last week. Uh, to the surprise of many, I don't know if that influenced the central bank. Did they make any mention of that? Yeah, they said that you know growth would be checked in some sort of marginal way in the first quarter of this year. Having said that, it did say that each successive wave of the uh, virus and each successive wave of restrictions, the economy has proved more and more resilient. So it seems that firms are actually kind of, uh, firms and consumers are able to kind of digest the uh, restrictions better and better. Now, having said that, um, Mark Cassidy, the Central Bank's Director of Economics and Statistics, did say, you know, some sectors are going to um, not recover at the same rate and there would be kind of scarring. And obviously he's referring to hospitality in the main and the entertainment sector. So, you know, it's 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 not uniform, this upbeat assessment, but um, in general, it's, it's pretty positive. Demar O'Leary, you had your own uh, economic assessment report out in the past couple of days and you were pretty bullish too. You're predicting a huge uh, surge in consumer spending. Yeah, we thought we were bullish in relation to the economic outlook, but the central bank... Um, I think it's going to be boomier, um, to, to borrow a phrase from, from the past. Essentially, what we're saying um, is, is that consumer spending uh, over the last number of years has been constrained, which has me- meant that you've seen a big increase in the household savings ratio. And we're saying that that's going to go back to the levels that we saw prior to the pandemic. 
what the central bank is saying is, is in fact, the savings ratio is going to go back to a level below the level it was prior to the pan- pandemic. So some of this build up in in savings, this stock of savings that has been um, built up over the last two years is going to be dipped into effectively. Now, this whole theme of a uh, big increase in savings uh, is, is a theme across developed economies over the last two years. But interestingly, Ireland has seen the biggest increase from its pre-pandemic level to its pandemic level. So there's more to, to, to go back, if you like. And the reason for that is because we've had more stringent restrictions, one. Uh, and two, there's been an increase in disposable income over the period, um, the biggest increase in, in Europe. Dermot, how much money are we talking about? Well, I mean, if, if, if you look at the stock of savings, um, there's been an increase of close on 20% uh, over the period since February 2020. But what we're saying is that if you look at who actually has that savings, uh, it's more than likely concentrated in, in higher income cohorts. So their propensity to spend that is probably less. I'm sure, people want to go on holidays after not being on holidays for, for the last two years. But it's more likely in our view that savings behaviour on an ongoing basis, resorts to some sort of normal pre-pandemic level. Yeah, sure. But I'm, I'm just wondering, what about the risks to the Irish economy? Because uh, we have a, a lot of uh, headwinds uh, facing us. I mean, if you take energy prices, for example, there's no question that they have surged. Everybody is seeing it in their energy bills. And we know that since hospitality uh, and other parts of the economy have opened as well, prices have increased. There's, there's, I don't think there's any question about that. And they're pretty strong headwinds uh, to be facing right now. Without doubt, the biggest risk to the economy now is over overheating. Um, and you, as you rightly say, we've already seen it in relation to inflation. Inflation going to 5.5%. We haven't seen that in 20 years. Um, the inflation rate is higher than the rest of Europe. And I think importantly as well, when we look at the prospects for this over the near term, there's a few, three different factors, which I'd actually point out that provide a risk that this won't you know, revert very quickly. Um, the first one is energy prices. So energy prices are contributing to about half of that annual inflation rate of 5.5% at the current time. We're at the end of a gas pipeline. We have these ongoing tensions in U- Ukraine and, and Russia, uh, which has the potential to increase energy prices even further in the short term, particularly in relation to gas. That's the, that's, that's the first point. Second point is is the labour market. We can get into this in more detail later on, but you know we have seen the job vacancy rate increase already to its record high level, and we're only you know a couple of days into the full reopening of 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 the economy overall. So there's wage inflation pressures, and that's that's kind of a second round effect that then feeds in uh, to CPI again. And the third one, which hasn't been mentioned a whole lot over the past couple of weeks and, and months is is the currency effect. So if you remember, you know, after Brexit, after the, the referendum vote on, on Brexit in 2016, big drop in the value of sterling relative to the euro, that had a depressing impact on prices import of imported goods from the UK and brought down the CPI rate over that time period. That's gone into reverse now. So sterling has gone from 88 to about 82 and a half or so uh, this morning. So that's actually inflationary. And so th- those three factors give you some sort of idea of the short-term uh, risks on the inflation front. Uh, Owen, we're still facing big issues in the housing market. You were reporting on a Sherry Fitzgerald report earlier this week, um, which tells us that housing starts, there's been a pickup in housing starts, but it's still not uh, not enough to meet demand. 
Yeah. Um, Jerry Fitzgerald's latest kind of annual um, report for 2021 under outlook for 2022 um, pinpoints the fact that housing starts have, have jumped up to a level not seen since um, the Celtic Tiger era. So that bodes well for increased supply. Um, the central bank in its reports talking about a supply going up to 26,000 and beyond over the next few years. So obviously that's um, an improvement on where we've been. But obviously uh, the government is hoping for 33,000 units a year. Um, people like the ERSI and others uh, think um, latent demand in the economy is around 35,000. Some people say higher. So uh, it doesn't seem like we're going to ever have that sort of supply-demand imbalance. And then there is, the, of course, uh, which I've been writing about a lot, uh, the cost issue, whether the increased supply is going to reduce the cost of housing for the average person is a different story altogether. So that's uh, you know something that's just going to stay in the Irish economy and in the political uh, environment for some time, one thinks. Yeah, Dermot, I don't know about you. I think a lot of people probably get nervous when they hear uh, talk of the Irish economy going back to Celtic Tiger levels the number of housing starts at their highest since the Celtic Tiger, because we all know what happened, the outcome of the Celtic Tiger years. We had a massive crash. Uh, does it worry you? Not on the housing front. Um, in, in relation to this factor, you know, going back to Celtic Tiger levels, I mean, we won't be at Celtic Tiger, Tiger levels, you know, for the foreseeable future in terms of supply. Um, yes, there has been a boom uh, in terms of housing starts really since last April when the construction sector was allowed to reopen. Um, but there was a lot of catch-up involved in that. Uh, so so there was a big drop the previous year because people thought we were going into a very severe recession in the wider economy and the housing market overall. That didn't prove to be the case. Uh, housing market has remained resilient and builders started up on sites. But the thing to point out about the housing starts trend in 2021 is that it slowed as the year progressed. So you might have seen a big increase for the year overall, but by the final quarter of the year, housing starts were only about 3% relative to what they were in the final quarter of 2019. So I, I, I think you know we have seen this boom, but I think we may see this level off. And the reason I think we may see this level off is go, goes back to this issue, well, a couple of issues. One is in terms of funding in the sector. So it's still the case that funding, development funding is very, very low uh, from the domestic banks. So they have to get it from external sources at a very expensive rate. Uh, and then the second one is the capacity of the sector overall. Um, we, we, we did an analysis of the builders in the market, about 400 builders in the market overall. And the vast majority of those builders are building less than 100 units per annum. So there's no scale in, in the industry and the big PLCs um, are obviously getting bigger because they don't have those funding uh, funding difficulties. So I think getting to 35 is even a push. And I, I know the central bank this week did say in their forecast that they, they believe housing output will get to 35,000, I think, in 2024. I think that's a push um, at this stage. Uh, so I, I wouldn't concentrate too much on those housing starts numbers. The question is, how can that be sustained um, given those capacity and funding issues? What about prices? Um where are they going to go? Because they've been uh, running away from us over the last uh, year or so. Last year, um, we, we saw inflation of uh, 14% in the housing market nationally. I think it was about 13% in Dublin and 15% outside Dublin. So if you look at the situation now in terms of the stock of homes for sale, which tends to be a pretty good indicator of what prices will do or what will happen to prices in the next 12 months, 
the current stock of homes for sale would be consistent with high single digit price growth over the next 12 months. Our own forecast we published this week in our Irish Economy Health Check point to price growth overall of 6% for the country. We have um, higher price growth outside of Dublin because we are seeing this shift, post-pandemic shift because of working from home uh, and people wanting to work uh, or wanting to live in other parts of the country. Um, that's still uh, that's really, still pretty high growth in, in, a, in a historical context and above the rate of inflation. But it comes back to this, this supply point that we've been talking about um, for quite a number of years. Yeah, everything sounds uh, kind of hunky-dory. Uh, if you read your report, Dermot, and you read the Central Bank's report and even the ESRI, uh, quite bullish recently, and the IBEC guys as well. But uh, I can't help feeling that a lot of companies, a lot of zombie companies, have to be a lot of zombie companies in the Irish economy right now who've been kept going by artificial supports from the state. They're now coming blinking into the sun. The restrictions have been li- lifted. Those supports are going to be pulled in the next uh, two or three months. Uh, what happens to them and how many of those uh, companies are going to be able to stand on their own two feet into the long term? Yeah, this, this is a key, key issue. So we, we've actually seen a decrease in insolvencies over the pandemic period, which kind of goes against your, your intuition. And, it, and that even happened into the fourth quarter this year. There has been some changes to policy in terms of insolvency um, practices, etc., that are trying to make it easier uh, for, for these companies to go through different types of arrangements but you're totally right i mean the the the, the sectors that will uh, continue to see stress are those that, that got hit most in the pandemic it's your, it's your hospitality businesses and uh, your retail businesses uh, as well so we will still we we will see an increase in insolvencies in those sectors right it's important though to think about also you know so that's the businesses that have been around what about the businesses that are, that are being starting uh, that are starting up? So we made this point in in our report this week about the business sector. When you look at the rate of uh, new company formations, there was a complete collapse in 2020. Not really that surprising, given the big lockdown that we saw at that point in time. But in 2021, we've seen a surge in new business startups. What we describe as um, created destruction. Right? I'm not sure if the destruction came first and then the creativity. But that is going on. So we've seen this big increase in, in business startups um, in, in, across all sectors, really. So you're seeing different things going on. But, but th- th- this, this is this creative destruction uh, that, that is at work. The government supports have minimized the rate of insolvencies, um, but it can only go so far. Uh, and when we have emerged from this, and we are emerging from it now, uh, thank goodness, uh, some companies just will not be viable and it would be wrong for governments to maintain support. Give them a chance, for sure, and that's what they've done in terms of delaying the ending of supports. Um, but you have to let new companies come up and, and give them a fair shot at it as well. Do you have any sense of how many companies um, might go under? We don't have a forecast in relation to the amount of companies. So what we do say is, is that when you look at the exposure of these businesses in relation to the banks, uh, it is those retail and hospitality businesses. What the central bank have said on this is, is that by the end of 2023, you will see the distress rate. So in terms of uh, the, the, the percentage of companies uh, dropping to single digits down to seven or eight percent. Uh, and that's substantially lower because of those supports that have been put in from the government, um, of which we estimate there was, there was over 40 schemes put in over the last two years and over 13 billion supports. 
huge amount of support in an international context. At EY, our purpose is to build a better working world. As one of Ireland's leading professional services firms, our exceptional people are at the centre of everything we do. We deploy technology at speed and innovation at scale to deliver exceptional solutions for our clients, enabling them to transform and grow. To find out more, visit ey.com. Owen, um, I've jotted down some risks to the Irish economy. Uh, I don't know where you want to start, but Brexit is one, climate change, uh, the war for talent, labour shortages, uh, and the cost of the pandemic, the 50 billion. How do we repay it? Well, at the moment, the, the public finances are in a pretty healthy state, and you could say that actually we're moving to a position of surplus r- relatively quickly compared to other countries. So, you know, on, on those headline metrics, uh, we're doing pretty well. The problem is the transition, the green transition, the, you know, isn't really costed to any great degree and it's very difficult to tell you know, where all that money is going to go. The government hasn't costed its, its reform plan for the health service either. So those things are kind of whirring away in the background and it's not obvious where they're all going to come from. So there's a bit of a fudge, as there always is, with the government's long-term budgeting. So it, it's difficult to know where all that's going to end up. But, um, you know, in terms of risk, risk factors, I, I was talking to a few different people this week in terms of Brexit, and, and it seems now companies and, and, and business people are just factoring in Brexit as now an increased level of cost of doing business with the UK, and that's become now just the lie of the land. So that seems to be relatively stable at the moment. I, I do stress, though, that obviously the UK are going to impose certain checks on goods later in the year, which will again pose a significant risk to our food exports into the UK. So that's one that's kind of, you know, going on. It's relatively contained. Um, I suppose the big, the big one that you mentioned is obviously where this inflation is going. You know, regulators and central banks fear that, you know, if companies and workers try to insulate themselves against inflation by ra- uh, raising prices or driving up wage demands, we could get into a kind of wage price spiral, which is the big fear now, all the central banks and most of the economists are telling us it's not going to happen. It's just part of the COVID unwind. It'll go away by the end of the year. Um, you know, it remains to be seen if that's going to be the case. Um, so that that seems to be the the kind of big economic point that we're all homing in at the moment. Um, but yeah, the, the, the costings of these big macro developments in the Irish economy, particularly the green one, is just completely unclear at the moment. Chambers, can I ask you your view on interest rates? Because the Bank of England has obviously made a a move already and the Fed has indicated that it's going to uh, increase rates three times. The markets are actually saying that it could be as many as four times. No move yet from the ECB, but when when do you think they will move and how substantially will interest rates change in the near term? Yeah, the ECB has kind of been holding tough against this international trend that we've seen from central bankers. I mean, I have to go back, I mean, if you go back a year ago, and going back to the previous point we just talked about in relation to inflation, you know, whether it's transitory or not, and transitory the word even has been thrown out by the central bankers now because you know it's 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 more persistent than they originally thought. So it's likely that the the, the Fed will have to raise rates three to four times this year. I think the Bank of England will have to raise rates three to four times this year as well. The the ECB has given itself a little bit of wriggle room and it does have inflation core inflation, which is kind of the key one because energy prices are, are are certainly impacting in the short term, but core inflation is lower in the euro area than it is in the US or the UK. 
and they've given some, themselves some wriggle room in terms of the communications that they have provided to the market about what are the conditions which uh, with which they can they will raise interest rates. So I think it is going to be into 2023, but it is going to be 2023. Uh, a, a year ago, uh, the markets would have been expecting that it would be the latter part of this decade by the time we saw an interest rate rise in the euro area. Um, so I think we're going to see, um, you know, about two interest rate rises in into 2023. That's something we haven't experienced for quite a number of years. But it is appropriate to take away a lot of this stimulus that's been there uh, for the last two years, given the V-shaped recovery that we've seen in 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 the euro area, and you know, even more so in Ireland. Sure, but what does it mean for mortgage holders? Uh, you know, we have a situation where a lot of people are probably to the pin of their collar, just paying their mortgage as it is. Um, and we have a lot of people who are still on restructuring arrangements from the last crash as well. And if there's an interest rate increase, it's going to be very difficult for them, isn't it? Well, obviously, for the for those on uh, on tracker mortgages, uh, it will be passed on straight away. So it goes to the bottom line. What we've seen over recent years is that people more and more, there's an increasing proportion of people taking on uh, fixed rate mortgages, um, so that that will not be felt obviously until their fixed rate term uh, is 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 up. Uh, another point to make about those recent kind of entrants into the mortgage market is that they're they've they're operating under the central bank rules three and a half times, apart from those obviously who are getting ex- exemptions from that. So it's it's more the, the the bigger risk is is those that you point out in terms of those who, who have been restructured. Uh, in the past number of years, and those who got their mortgages under a uh, less stringent mortgage regime, let's say, back in in the mid mid two thousands, so just different risk factors uh, between those two different regimes, if you like. I wonder, Dermot, um, in terms of Sinn Fein, Sinn Fein is uh, rising in the polls, uh, and I know the next election is a few years out, but they are seen in in by some in business circles as a bit of a bogeyman. Uh, and there would be a, a nervousness. You'd always have business people talking nervously about Sinn Féin being in government. Uh, maybe, you know, maybe that's an exaggerated nervousness, but it's there. And there's no doubt about that. I wonder if you, uh, if you ever factor into your, into your models um, the impact that Sinn Féin in government might have on the Irish economy. First point I'd make on this, Kieran, is that you're right, that there is nervousness among the business community. And indeed, among the international investment community, who 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 are obviously I I talk to on an international basis, and they're asking about this shift in the political climate that we've obviously seen when you look at the polls or even the general election in 2020, um, and they expect it to continue. If you look at recent, if you look at recent trends, you can't really argue with that. You know the reason for that, you know, nervousness um, is because we haven't really heard the policies being articulated fully and that's what opposition parties do you know so so they can criticize government policy from the outside without um until very close to the general election getting very specific about the policies so i i think there's certainly and we've seen some of this i think over the past couple of months um i think there needs to be more communication about what it actually is Sinn Féin's policies on various areas. Um, and it may be the case uh, that some industries w- won't, won't like it, um, but they can potentially take actions to deal with it 
over the next number of years. So I, I, I think the point is that there needs to be more communication about it and less of a vacuum. And as we approach the second half of this government's term, um, I think that's probably something that Sinn Féin will uh, increasingly do. Um, because if they are going to be in government, who knows what's going to happen over the next three years. And it is still a couple of, year, couple of years away that we get the general election. Um, but if they are going to get into government in some form or manner or form in 2025, let's say, then they'll have to, um, they'll have to work with business. Um, so I think there's a job work to do there. But you're right when you say that the markets are concerned, aren't they? Because they have um, proposed interventions in the housing market in terms of uh, lending and so forth, which the markets don't like. They they have particular um, soundings in, in relation to the, the property market, um, you know, in terms of policies around shifting supply to more public sector supply, et cetera, which is something that the government is really kind of following in, in, in any case. Um, but I think for me, the biggest risk here is that the funding uh, for the sector uh, falls falls away and, and thus you get a, a decrease in supply over the next number of years. And then generally in terms of foreign direct investment, I mean, foreign direct investment has boomed over the last couple of years, has been has played a massive role in stabilizing the public finances in, in, a, in an era that we could have seen a complete collapse. Um, and obviously has been beneficial in terms of jobs over many, many years. I would like to see some more clarity uh, for that particular sector uh, in, in particular. Um, because of the because because they played this such a massive role. Yeah, um, Owen, no dividends uh, for prudently managing the public finances. It would seem for Fianna Gael and Fianna Fáil. Yeah, I, I'm sure they're thinking that themselves. That um, you know the rollout of of um, supports, uh, wage supports, and business supports has been pretty successful. And uh, Durban mentioned earlier on we've seen little to none in terms of insolvencies, which goes against a grain in a crisis. So the government can pat itself on the back for that. And in terms of the savings that's now driving the economy forward, that again can be linked to wage supports. So, um, and, and and the government's position coming out of the uh, crisis is going to be probably the envy of most other countries in Europe. And obviously that's a lot to do with multinational profits. But um, yeah, it doesn't seem like the government gets much of a holiday or a rest after that period. It seems like it's now going to be attacked on the inflation front and not doing enough to offset the kind of um, squeeze on lower income ha- households. Um, and then again, you imagine that the housing issue is never far from the agenda and that's only got worse, you'd imagine, in terms of the pricing metrics. So that's been probably you know the biggest uh, stick that Sinn Féin has had over the government for the last few years. Um, and that doesn't seem to be going in the way of households. And as Dermot said, uh, even Dublin City Council now are applying to kind of restrict, um, you know, the build to rent um, uh, sector in, in their environment. So that seems like another measure that may uh, be problematic for investors. Uh, it may squeeze investment coming into the country. And that's a pretty controversial measure. Yeah, Dermot, I mean, I'm sure Goodbody uh, keeps its its finger on the pulse of uh, foreign multinational investment in Ireland. And I'm sure you're talking to investors uh, quite a lot throughout the year. I'm just wondering their view on Ireland now as an investment location, because there are a lot of issues that have emerged over the past uh, couple of years. Uh, issues around planning, we've seen a couple of data centres go by the wayside, for example. 
Um, issues around energy supply, and we're seeing pressure now, real pressure uh, in terms of energy supply and energy security for us. And of course, prices are, are going up. Um, labor shortages have really begun to emerge. And maybe an issue around our universities as well. Again, a lot of chatter uh, out there that uh, our universities um, have fallen behind and that there hasn't been enough investment over the last um, decade or decade and a half uh, in our universities. We haven't kept pace with the rest of the world, let's say. And these are all issues that could influence foreign multinational investment. And of course, we're losing our 12.5% uh, tax rate as well. So when when you guys talk to uh, foreign investors, are, are these issues coming up? Are they very real? Are they, or, you know, is it just in our imagination? Okay, well, well the first point I'd make is that the, the most amount of contact we have are with foreign investors who want to invest in Irish, Irish sovereign bonds, or they want to invest in, in Irish uh, assets like equities, etc. And when you think about that, for for a second, you know, there's not that many pure Irish in inverted commas companies to invest in in the Irish stock market. So 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 the view around the companies that are on the Irish stock exchange, but are not necessarily focused pure in Ireland. You, you, you know, your Ryanairs and your your, your Kingspans, um, they have had huge success and they're recognised as very very strong management teams internationally. So that's not an Irish story per se. It just happened to be an Irish uh, an Irish company. If you think about the, those who are interested in, in purely domestic uh, companies, and, and then I'll come on to your, your question in relation to FDI, etc. Um, they recognize that Ireland among European countries is very dynamic, is very welcoming towards foreign direct investment, uh, still has a very competitive corporation tax rate, despite the fact that it has to be increased for larger companies um, and has generally a very strong track record uh, in these businesses operating their European headquarters in, in Ireland. And that has been the case, you know, uh, for, for quite a number of decades and has continued over the next number of years. We tend to be a little bit insular in this. We don't tend to look outside. There are other countries with uh, political issues, you know, perceived shift to the left interventions in the property markets uh, all over the world. And there's also labor market shortages uh, all, all over the world as well. There is no doubt, though, um, when you think about the threats to the, this status quo, um, it's around capacity, uh, cost and competitiveness. Um, one of the issues, and I'll just leave it at this, uh, one of the issues that we pointed out in a report, if you think about the foreign direct investment sphere, I think people accept that the, the change in the international tax is, is, is done and it could have been worse for Ireland. But when you think about competitiveness and the search for talent, one of the areas that we're not competitive on is in relation to personal tax rates. So out of 37 countries within the uh, OECD data, Ireland has the fourth highest marginal tax rate for higher income earners. And they would be the kinds of workers that would be employed by your you know, Googles, your Facebooks, your TikToks, et cetera, et cetera. So that is just one area. You talked about capacity in relation to infrastructure, uh, electricity. They're kind of issues that need to get resolved over, over the medium term. They're considered kind of a bit boring in, in the short term, but vitally important if we're going to sustain 
um, the kind of competitiveness and, and the level and flow of foreign direct investment over the next number of years. Um, Owen, what can the government do to uh, win back voters, uh, if you like, win their confidence and boost themselves in the polls? Um, in, in economic terms, I mean, you're, you're talking about them uh, having a bu- budget surplus now much sooner than we had uh, previously anticipated. And they have managed the finances pretty well, I guess, over the past uh, couple of years. And the economy uh, is doing very well in the round. Um, so what do they need to do? Well, um, yeah, they. Uh, it, it's difficult when the, when the public finances go too well, then you get the, the kind of clamor for tax cuts and, and increased spending. And if they go too bad, then you get accused of, um, you know, mismanaging the public finances. So it's a, it's a tricky uh, situation for the government to be in. Uh, they can be a victim of their own success. Um, you know, at the beginning of uh, last year, they were thinking of a deficit in the region of 20 billion. And, and it's probably going to come out at around 9 billion. We haven't got the final figure for last year just yet. But um, yeah, it's. I suppose, you know, the last election said that the big issues for the public were health and housing. Um, and they are still big issues for the public and um, they haven't exactly been resolved to, to anyone's satisfaction. Uh, maybe you go to any country in the world and you, you find those issues existing. But um, yeah, we see, we, you know, it, it, the tax that Dermot mentioned is, is one and has been one for years. But, the you know, it's it's the level and the state of public services in this country has now become the the number one issue. And that's largely because the private sector, the population has become much bigger, much wealthier, and the demand on these services has become that much greater. So we're seeing it all over the place. We're seeing, um, you know, consumers complaining about the level of public services, the levels of transport. We're seeing businesses complaining about the lack of housing, the lack of water, uh, infrastructure and energy. Um, I was at an Oireachtas committee this morning where Martin Shannon was admitting that that yeah we we have to up our game on these issues if uh, our offering is going to stay competitive going into the future. So um, you know that's where um, the political environment is, and that's where the election is going to be won and lost. It's going to be on the state of public services. Uh, Dermot, over the past uh, couple of years, the pandemic, I suppose, has been the biggest risk to the Irish economy. What do you think the biggest risk is now going forward? As I said earlier on, it's it's overheating. Um, it's it's these inflationary pressures in the context of very um, low availability of labour. We don't have this the same sort of uh, valve immigration valve that we did say in the mid two thousands, and it's quite extraordinary to think that we still had overheating in the two thousands, even though we were bringing in huge amount of migrant workers from from Eastern Europe. That's not the case this time. In fact, that's gone in the opposite direction. So. I think over overheating um, and the, the the consequent loss of competitiveness as a result of 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 that factor would be for me the biggest risk to the Irish economy at this point in time. All right, we leave there. Demir O'Leary of Goodbody Stockbrokers and Omber Kennedy of the Irish Times. Thank you for joining Inside Business. Okay, that's it for this week from Inside Business. My thanks to Dermot O'Leary and Owen Burke-Kennedy for joining me on the show. The podcast was produced by Jennifer Ryan with JJ Vernon on sound. Thanks also to our sponsor EY for its continued support. Remember, you can get the latest business news straight into your inbox by signing up to our Business Today email at irishtimes.com. And you can also follow the Irish Times business feed on Twitter, LinkedIn and Facebook each day. I'm Kieran Hancock. Until next time, take care.